Hi, my name is Ed Kozell, and welcome to Conversations with Calistoga, a periodic set of podcasts covering events, topics, and people relevant to our community. Today, I'm speaking with Ann Carver, resident of Calistoga for almost 30 years. Ann is well-known throughout the Napa Valley for many civic projects and the good grace that she and her husband, Dennis, live their lives with. Anne, good morning and welcome. I understand you became uh, independent at a very young age. Independent? Well, your parents died, is what oh, I read. Oh, yes. I, yes, my, I was uh, 29 when my father died. I was 31 when my mother died, 31 when my sister died. So it was a very large, scary time. Um, but you know, it, it's ironic, as tragic and horrible as it felt at the time. The other side of it was that I got to define myself without projections of others at a very early age, which gave me a lot of freedom, which is I'm grateful for. You have a rep- reputation of getting along well with youth and different types of people. Mm-hmm. Do you think part of that comes from that, that period of your life? Well, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I was 25 when I had my first child. My two older sisters had children. I, I didn't really care about kids until I was in New York City and a friend had a baby, and I went, oh, my goodness. And when I had my own children, it, it changed the way I looked at the world, really, about how do you um, help develop a human being. And what was as time went on, what was interesting was coming back to San Francisco from New York and getting involved in the creation of a school and being a childbirth educator and being um, being certified in drug, alcohol, and sexuality and starting a program in a couple of schools in San Francisco. So I, I became uh, very aware of how important uh, conversation is, observance is, involvement is. So that was the beginning. Um, And coming to Calistoga was uh, a whole different kind of a world. I grew up in a very white community, and Calistoga was such a wonderful introduction to the benefits of bicultural. And at the time, my twins were young, and when they went to Calistoga Elementary School, it was bilingual and obviously very bicultural. And that added a whole dimension about the way the humanity works for me. Um, So... I love children. I have a funny story about um, I was <laughs> my son's um, sexuality teacher in sixth grade, and we had an interaction which I sort of offered to say, "May I tell this story?" Well, he turned another one on me and just was humiliating. But he he was also embarrassed about you know how can your mother show up in a skirt and be talking to your friends about sex and blah blah blah. He totally discounted it. To this day. His friends still, well, now they're in their 40s, but when they were in their 20s and 30s, they would still call and say, can we talk to you? I was very flattered. (laughs) Here in Calistoga, you're probably best known as a founder of the Up Valley Family Center. What would you like to be or wish to be best known for when you look over your life? I think first and foremost is being a mother and a grandmother, but the family center, being able, how many people do you meet who say, I did everything I ever dreamed of and I had every opportunity to do it. And when I came here, I had no idea what what it was gonna look like. I did not know one person. Um, I got total anonymity, which I loved. I could get involved in the schools 
etc. And I was aware of um, a lot of uh, racism here. And the wonderful thing about the Family Center is it was a great transition between cultures. And I'm really grateful to have been part of that and to peel away some of my own bias or, or things that I thought I knew that I actually don't. So the Family Center is terribly important to me. And also working on the First Five Commission, starting the Children's Health Initiative. But the Family Centers, my children always go, you love that more than me, <laughs> sort of my fifth child. So I'll keep that one. Going back to when you were, you were younger, what were the seminal influences that, that made you the person that you are? I don't know. I used to always say I, I was the kid that was found under a cabbage patch because I didn't necessarily feel mm -hmm. like I fit in with my mm -hmm. own family. Mm -hmm. um, I was a competitive horseback rider, which took a lot of discipline and a lot of commitment. It was mixed. I happened to be very good at it, and I think that that discipline helped save me in the 60s and 70s, and it certainly exposed me to a different world because I was riding all over the country. Um, I had a very interesting, powerful father whom we were very close, and I was sort of the thorn in his side, you know, it was the Vietnam War and all of these other issues going on, and I would go, Dad, you just don't get it. You know, he was sort of, you know, a, a Goldwater guy, which was not me at all. Um, I don't know, I had a lot of opportunity. I got to travel. Uh, there was a lot going on. I got to be in the country. Were you and your sister similar to each, with each other? The one who died? Um, no. Uh, mm -hmm. It's funny that you ask that. I've been going through files and stuff, and I found a, a file on my sister. And I don't think that I realized at the time that she must have been very dyslexic. She did almost like hieroglyphic writing, very poignant and powerful. I was sort of the good child and she was the bad child, but I just didn't get caught and she always did. <laughs> um, she, was, she was sort of wayward. She never really found herself. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the loss of my mother and father just ripped it right out from under her. So, Were you the youngest of the children? No, three out of four. I have two older sisters who are still living mm -hmm. and then Abby died in 1984. Okay. Yeah. All girls. All girls. Oh. Not pretty. <laughs> No, but see, so my father, my name was supposed to be um, Andrew Douglas Carver, and I had the wrong plumbing, so I became Ann Douglas Carver, but I sort of lived out being my dad's boy, mm -hmm. you know, the way I was competitive, the way it sort of intellectually uh, sparring with him, etc. Um, so yeah, four girls. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, though my sister has four girls. Um, can't help but compare, you know, one's the beautiful one, one's the smart one, one's the um, committed hard worker, and the other one's just, you know, a fairy. Right. What has been your largest failure in life? Ooh, good question. Um, I've been married, I'm now on my third marriage. Mm -hmm. I was married the first time, like, two days after I turned 21, very young sort of, you know, beautiful boy next door, older. <clears throat> then we had a family, came back to San Francisco, and the, it was after my father's uh, death, though we were having trouble anyways, and we were divorced when my daughter was six, my son was five. Um, all under the guise of this needs to be done. There was a lot of, I, I contributed to a lot of damage to my children that we at least we can talk about now. 
I was married a second time and had the twins, and my husband left me for another man, which was devastating. And those boys too, I mean, they, I think when families get bifurcated and shuddered, etc., um, I, my failure was wounding, wounding my children inadvertently. That was really hard for me. I think another one was that I didn't go to medical school because I had, um, I got married and then I had children. I, I did pre-med afterwards. But it was, it was too much, it was too stressful. I always wanted to be a doctor. So my nickname in my family was malpractice. <laughs> <laughs> they still call me that. <laughs> Do you still you know, follow medicine to oh, pay attention yes. to it? And, uh, oh yeah, I mean, I'd love to read it, I'd love to mm -hmm. hear about it, I hang out with doctors whenever I can. Mm -hmm. um, yes, but I, I guess what I'm, I'm glad for is that even though I did not go to medical school, I, in becoming a childbirth educator and getting very involved, involved with women's healthcare issues, and um, working in hospitals in rehab medicine, and I, I work had an amazing job as a, um, pathologist assistant and did autopsies and all of that cool lab stuff. So I, I sort of, I got pretty well exposed. Right. And I still love right. it. Right. Huh. Do you have any other latent uh, wishes that you'd like to fulfill? Um, no, I think one of my struggles is to, um, to be still mm -hmm. and to be accepting of accepting and all-embracing of what is and to spend the rest of my life um, tr trying to live in a state of grace and continue to be connected with people in a meaningful way, keeping things simple, love being with my children and grandchildren. No, I, I could say I, I, I got mm -hmm. to have it all by coming here. It's great. How did you, I mean, how did you find Calistoga when you decided to look for something outside San Francisco? So my family had a beautiful ranch on the coast of San Mateo. And so I had a lot of exposure to cattle and country. And we had a wonderful old farmhouse, blah, blah, blah. We sold it after my mother died. And I always had a yearning for, you know, something else. I lived in San Francisco in a wonderful house near UCSF. <clears throat> but... After the divorce and these little boys, etc., and after actually my grandmother died, and there were no no one else was sitting on my shoulder going, "Well, dear, how are you going to do it?" And so I had uh, the man who helped me sell my family's ranch was a very good real estate person, and he said, "Okay, we're going to drive around the Bay Area, and you're going to tell me every rock, every tree, every everything that you like." I had been to the Napa Valley once when I was Jim twenty. Lawrence. And <clears throat> we just happened to drive through, and I thought, well, that's nice. And you know, I don't know where I am, but that, that's nice. As it turns out, I had put uh, bids in on a couple of other places, one on uh, Petrified Forest Road, one, you know, but they were, they were very isolated. And I happened to be in Calistoga on a weekend, and Nick, this man, said to me, gee, you know, I've never seen this list listed property. Let's go take a look at it. It was a, an ad in the local paper that we picked up. <clears throat> and I drove down this funny road, and it was a dirt road. It had a dog tied to a tree. It had these, this old, really old farmhouse and dilapidated buildings all around it, sort of in a circle. 
and a palm tree that was like this. And I thought, this is me. And so I said that to Nick. He said, you have to be kidding. I said, no. It reminds me of, you know, covered wagons gathered, and I'll be safe. Plus, I had the beautiful palisades behind me. So I just, and actually, so we put in a bid, and the man laughed and said, you know, not a, no way. He, and I said, okay, I'm walking away. I'm going to let the universe do what it's supposed to do, whatever that means. He came back to me six months later and said, are you still interested? And I said, well, throw in the other 60 acres, blah, 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 and negotiated it. And that was that. And actually, I had sold the house in San Francisco and planned to live part-time in Marin County and part-time here. On my 40th birthday, uh, which is, I, that, that was my 40th birthday present to myself. Family wasn't so keen on it. Um, I went to spend the night in that house by myself, <clears throat> and I said, you know what, to hell with Marin County. I'm just going to go bare naked, put 90% of my life in storage, and just winged it. It was great. Adventure. My wow. children thought I was insane. <laughs> I said it my friends. But that changed, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure it did. <laughs> well, when, uh, when you look at the family center, is would you describe it as a bridge between the two cultures? I think so. I think what became evident, the wonderful thing was that because it was a California uh, program, they were very stringent about what kind of needs assessment we had to do, how we um, demarcated populations, etc. And what was very evident was that school was a place that the Hispanic families could come and they felt safe. They weren't at risk. And in the very beginning, there were very few Anglo families that participated in the family center at all, which was mm -hmm. sort of disappointing, and so therefore it was seen as a, a, a cultural, unicultural, really, uh, mm -hmm. program, which it was never designed to be. Um, but it, it was a bridge, and lots got to happen about empowerment and volunteerism. I mean, there mm -hmm. are a couple of people on the staff today that were volunteers 22 years ago, which is when we right. really started it. So yeah, I think it's been a, a, a wonderful demonstration of commitment of both cultures together for the highest good. Right. Yeah, taking care of each other. That's wonderful. It's been, I mean, recognized as being massively successful. So um, yeah, but it well was done. a struggle. It was a heave ho up a mountain for, for the first four years. Right. It was very intense. You lived on a large piece of property. You chose to move into town and, and uh, rejoin uh, the rest civilization. of civilization. I was an out-of-towner for 23 years. And, and how are you and Dennis uh, uh, acclimatized now to, to having neighbors and, and some traffic? And... Um, <clears throat> I, qu I quite like the idea of a neighborhood. I, I didn't grow up in one um, as a child. And in San Francisco, obviously, it was a neighborhood. And then we were out on the farm. We thought, you know, oh, how glorious for our children. They were so resentful. They just wanted to be in town with their friends and riding bikes. And um, we weren't sure if we were going to stay in Calistoga when we sold the property. And it, it, it was very fortuitous. The man who built our house, we were good friends with. I had gone to Restoration Hardware and helped him pick out stuff. So I was very familiar with the house and always really liked it. Um, but I was uh, nervous because I, I think part of my nervousness was, does this mean that, you know, the box is in the garage for the rest of my life and then I get carted out? And I have to tell you, it has been a big change for me 
very positive in lots of ways, but I, until very recently, have not had a stake in the ground. And I have fallen in love with my house again. Maybe that's the times, and also wonderful conversations with my children about the meaning of our property for them to come home to home. Um, and I love walking. I love getting on my bike. Uh, we have one set of neighbors that used to be part-time. They're now full-time again, the younger couple with really nice kids. There's kind of this, uh, you know, pot banging over the fence <laughs> these days. I, I like it. I love Calistoga. I mean, everyone kept saying, how could you even consider moving away, given how many wonderful friends I have, which at this juncture in life is very important. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. I'll stay. If I ask you to, to describe Calistoga to someone who has never been here, but might be interested in visiting or perhaps people who are interested in moving here, how would you describe it? Well, I think what I liked about it, and of course I didn't know much about the Napa Valley, is it had a very different flavor. It had a very small town vision, footprint, and culture, if you will. Um, I like that, if, that it's not pretentious at all. It doesn't pretend to be you know, important in the wine industry, though there are very good businesses here. Um, I like the fact that it was palpably bicultural and there was a community to be made and to be had in that way. And um, it certainly is beautiful. We have wonderful, you know, nature and paths, and I've only just recently gotten involved or been exposed to Bothay, which, you know, been here for a long time. Good grief, that's beautiful. Uh, really nice people. People stick together. They look out for each yeah. other. You hear about someone who's ill, and you, you know, take them a card or drop something off. I like that. People are looking out for each other. It's great. Yeah. Good food. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> a lot of changes. <laughs> How are you coping under the virus? Um, I I have you know good days and bad days. It's very uh, I'm used to being sort of a, a proactive, interactive, busy person, and that's come to a halt. So it's a matter of you know changing directions with myself. Part of what I've done is gotten involved in painting again and making all these ridiculous things for my grandchildren. It's a way to stay in touch. Um, but I've, I have found it challenging. I, to be perfectly honest, have experienced a lot more sadness for the world, but it, I mean, it's in all of our backyards and um, confusion about, you know, so, so what is the meaning of this? Because I do think there is one. It's, it's a knock, knock, wake up world, America, mm -hmm. Calistoga. I mean, yeah, so uh, good days, bad days. And I, I have to say that, you know, my involvement with Up Valley village and then the, the, the Green Church Brandon Center, um, I've felt sort of bamboozled by how in heaven's name are we going to make these work? How do you make the argument? And truth be told, well, no, it, it, it's true with the Green Church too. You know, how, how are people going to convene? How are people going to... Um, are they going to have the the enlivened spirit? I'd like to think yes. They're going to actually seek out more of music and performing arts and uh, joy. Uh, but I, that's been really hard for me. That I don't 
I don't always feel like I know what I can contribute anymore. And I think not having ongoing meetings in person is very hard. Last Friday, it was like, Yahoo, here we are in this room. You know, other living, breathing human beings. Um, And I think I'm very much of a people person. So the isolation. Plus my husband's a ninny. I mean, I'm a rule breaker, so we have to come together. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's hard. It is. It is. And Carver, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure.